want to just say a great big thank you to um, Hani Shemtov and to Zipper Wartimer. I, I really do appreciate it. I know we all do. And um, it feels really good to be back here with everyone today. Um, the Sikha today, we're learning, um, asking Hashem for a four shleima for Harab Yosef Yitzhak Ben Sima Chasya. Also today is the yard site of a special young man who tragically left this world a year ago exactly, Yeshaya Ben Arya Levi Sheyichya. Um, so it should be Le'ilun Nishmas for Yeshaya, Jack. Um, also, we cannot begin without uh, just for a moment stopping uh, and, 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 and remembering that today is Chav Chasivan, Kayach Sivan, it marks the day that the Rebbe the Rebbe came uh, to this lower hemisphere. And a few days ago in the Hayyim Yayim, just two days ago, Chavav Sivan, the Rebbe said, um, with regard to the company of Kayach, as it is written, they will go down alive to the grave. And we're going to be talking about that story today. And the Rebbe says in Hayyim Yayim, that is even when in the grave, they would think that they were alive. And Rebbe says, the blessing inherent in going down alive to the grave, as our sages explain on the similar statement that the sons of Kerr did not die because a place was fortified for them in Gehenna. There was a, a, a place that was uh, hewn out for them in Gehenna so that they were not impacted by Gehenna and they did Shashuba, they repented. And this is because tshuva is effective only as long as one is alive. And similarly, regarding those who descended alive in the grave, the blessing was that even in the grave, they would be alive and able to repent. And um, it seems to me that this so well encapsulates um, the, you know, what, what, what is the Indian of Kayach Sivan, that the Rebbe was able by himself and, and to teach us how to bring life to those who are already swallowed up in the grave, as it were, of assimilation and, and um, secularization and, and so on and so forth. And uh, the rest of the world looked at them as it's like, it's farfal, they're already in the grave. They, they were swallowed up in the grave. And, and the Rebbe said, no, there's life there and you'll breathe more life there and more life and more life. Um, so we have to remember what a, what a tremendous day this is, the day that uh, draws the Kayach from the month of Sivan, from the month of Matan uh, to saturate and to suffuse um, every, every aspect of, of the world entire. Um, so that's just about the day. It's, a, it's a, an incredibly awesome day to be learning a sicha together. It is also our last class before Gimel Tamos. And uh, have another Hayyim Yim just recently about the way that which we, in which we solder our connection to our Rebbe, the way in which we connect is, 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 through, is through learning the Rebbe's Chassidus. So we will begin forthwith Kairach uh, Sicha Gimel in uh, Krach, in, in volume Yudches, Sif Aleph. 
בשני אנשים נענשו כרך ועדסי על מחלקסם כנגד מוישה וארן. There are two punishments that were meted out to כרך and to his posse um, because of the מחלקס, the argument, uh, the rift, the insurrection um, that they staged against מוישה and ארן. So the Torah says, כל האדם אשר לכרך so regarding all the people that were in Kairach's camp, as it were, inclusive of Dasan and Aviram, the earth swallowed them up and they descended alive to the grave. And regarding the 250 persons who, who offered the Kateris, Nisrifu Ba'ish, they were burnt, they were consumed in fire. Kiadua, as is well known, the punishments that come from above, that come from heaven, have a correlation to the trespass, to the Avera that the person does. And in the well-known uh, words of Chazal from Gemara Seda, with the measure that a person measures, he himself is measured. Meaning that there, there's a correlation between the Avera and the punishment that will come. And the Rebbe says, and this is true according to all opinions. This is um, not only agreed upon, but recognized even by those who believe that schar and einish, the punishment, and re- reward and punishment, don't come as a direct result of the mitzvahs that we do or the averas that we do. But rather, it's a consequence of what we do, the natural consequence. So even they believe that there's mita kenegamita. How much more so, according to those who believe that the reward and the punishment are a outgrowth, they are a direct result of whatever it is that we do, of our actions. So if we all agree that there is this idea of then we have to understand. Which was What is the correlation? What is the connection? What is the similarity between the um, ones who were, who were burnt and the ones who were swallowed up between the punishment and between the sin and the flaw and the imperfection uh, that they effectuated through their actions, which was the machlekas that they brought on Moshe and Aaron. Beis. When it comes to the punishment that they were swallowed up and they went down alive in their graves, we can understand this simply. Because 
The Rebbe says, but as once we understand that the entire complaint of Kairach and his, um, his congregation was on the, um, the minuyim, the, the uh, assignments that Moshe uh, gave out. And their complaint was regarding Moshe um, handing out these assignments randomly from his heart, as it were, not by, by direction or direct commandment of Hashem, but rather his bias and his nepotism. So since all of this, it was all for the purpose of alighting to the station of Kahuna. That was the stated purpose of what Kairach and Adasai wanted. His nasus, they wanted to be elevated. And so Mida Kanega Mida, instead of being elevated, they descended uh, in, in the lowest descent possible, they went alive to their graves. And in like fashion, when it comes to the punishment of the burning, when you look at the simple narrative of Sukkim, it seems that their punishment came as a result of the fact that they offered the Kataris, and the Kataris is, of course, connected to fire. And because this was a foreign fire, this was not a fire that they were commanded to bring, that they should have brought. They were not Kahanim. So it's symmetrical. It's perfect. They brought a Eshzara, and they, sh- they shouldn't have brought this at all. And so they were consumed through fire. But the Rebbe says, but no, it does not jive. It's not understood uh, amply. The fact that they brought the Kateris was by direct command of Moshe Rabbeinu. And it's true that Maisha's reason for telling them to offer the Kateris was to clarify through this which is the man that Hashem chose that is holy, and the rest will be lost, will die. But it would seem that it doesn't really have a direct correlation to their sin. In other words, it has a direct correlation to the strategy that Moshe undertook in order to show them the fallacy and, and the sin that drives their complaint. But it doesn't seem to have a direct correlation to their actual sin, meaning the actual fact that they had the chutzpah to go in up against, um, you know, rebel against Moshe. Okay. And as it's underscored in the Pasuk, right after they are burnt, the Pasuk says, that they sinned with their souls. This means, they were sinners with their souls. In, in rebellion against Moshe, they effectively rebelled against Hashem. And so what is really the connection between their being burnt and the, the actual sin, which is the machlekes? And the Rebbe says on top of this, 
from the very fire pans that they offered, a thin overlay that would be hammered out and would act as a as an overlay on the mizbeach. Why? So that there would be an everlasting reminder, and people would look at this, and this would be a sign of remembrance that this overlay came as a result of that terrible rebellion, the terrible insurrection brought against Meisha. And if you're going to say that their punishment of being burnt through fire was because of the fire that they brought the Kataris, so then the main thing is missing in the ice because it's not a reminder of their rebellion. It's a reminder of the way in which they were punished. So it's kind of circular. And the Rebbe says, we have to understand how this is an appropriate uh, punishment. So you're forced to say, so we're forced to say that, yes, there is a connection, and we have to understand what is the connection and how this feeds into the fact that there would be this overlay that would be an eternal reminder, and people would say, this is from those who had the chutzpah to uh, rebel against Maisha and, and sinned in this dreadful, dreadful way. And in like fashion, we also have to better understand the punishment of being swallowed up. Till now, we understood that they're going down alive into their grave is a, uh, is, is a appropriate punishment because it's mida kenega mida. They descend as opposed to being elevated, which is what they sought with this dreadful action. But when you read the Psukim, and certainly when you read the Midrashi Chazal, you get the definite impression that the punishment was more about being swallowed up rather than descending deep into the abyss. And like the Razal uh, refer to this demographic, graphic blew him. They were swallowed up but not so much underscoring their descent. So the Rebbe says we have to understand this. Gimel. We also have to understand the Medrash, in the Medrash, Isa, we're, we're taught, that Kairach was punished more than any of them. He was both burnt and swallowed up. And why did both of these punishments uh, come upon him? Because 
If he would only be burned and he wouldn't be swallowed up, then the ones that were swallowed up would complain and they would say, he's the one that brought all of this punishment on us and we're being, we're being swallowed and he is being saved. And if he would have been swallowed and not burned, then the burnt ones would complain, isn't he the one that brought all this punishment on us? It's only And here we are burnt. And he saved. Therefore, he was punished with both, um, with, with both forms of death. And I, I think I could see on Sarah's face that she's puzzled by this and she's preempting the Rebbe's uh, question. Let's say if he would have been punished with only one of these deaths. Let's say even if one of the, the people who are punished with the other form of death would have said it's not enough, because they'll say that their punishment is worse than his, but there's still no place to say that he got away scot-free, that he's safe. When he's clearly dead. Okay, it's a different kind of death, but he's dead. So the Rebbe says we have to understand the Lushan of Chazal here, of the Medrash, how could he be saved? How could they have a taina? How could they have a complaint that he's saved when he's clearly dead? Okay, maybe you think he should have died a worse death, but he's dead. So where does this idea of nitzel come from? Okay, so before we go into the resolution, let's just review. Um, the Rebbe wants to understand how is this actually mida connected mida? If you're talking about the ones that were burned through fire, it would seem that that addresses the litmus test that Moshe employed rather than their actual sin, which was rebellion against Moshe. And if, and, and if you're saying that being swallowed up is, is Mida Kanegamida, so yes, we do have this idea that they descended rather than acquire the elevation that they sought with this rebellion. But we see that in general, they are referred to as the nivloim, the ones that were swallowed up rather than the ones that descended. And so how is the fact that they were swallowed up, mida kanege mida, against the rebellion that they brought? And finally, um, the, the Medrash uh, explains why Kairach had to suffer uh, or, or experience both of these deaths and says that if not, then one or the other demographic would have said he's being saved. That's not fear. But how could you say he's being saved when he would have died by one or the other of these two modalities? Dalit. So we will understand this by prefacing. We have to understand what was the seminal point of Kairach's machlekes of rebellion against said, the entire congregation is holy and Hashem resides among them. Why should one small cohort be elevated above everybody else? 
Kiloimar, that is to say, in effect, he was looking to do away with all of the distinctions, with all of the delineations between different demographics within B'nai Yisrael. And how much more so that there should not be one leader, one person that is elevated above all others. And in his mindset, uh, the way that he set this forth, if you do away, if you democratize uh, the people of Israel, then we'll have full unity and true unity. However, the Torah says, but the Torah tells us that his complaint and his behavior were the polar opposite, completely antithetical to true unity. What, 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 what came of it? Machlekes, a rift. On the word vayikach and like, like Unklos says, and Rashi cites Unklos, um, on the word vayikach, this palik, he separated, he divided. So much so that this rift, this machlekes, became the general term, the generic term for all machlekes. How do we see this? Because we, we see that uh, the Chazal tell us, that anybody that engages in machlekes, trespasses a negative prohibition, so machlekes until the end of time is named for karech v'adasai. How could it be? It seems strange that the the quest for true unity in B'day Yisrael should morph into the quintessential machlekes argument. Machlekes ba'ifin karua kol kach achet kol machlekes shetiyah ben B'day Yisrael nikras al shei machlekes zoom. It's such a terrible machlekes that any machlekes that would ensue amongst B'day Yisrael would always be called on the machlekes of Karech Vadasi. How could it be? that the premise that, that catapulted this incident, which is the, the, the desire for unity, should lead to such terrible rift and splintering. Hey, Habir al-Kach, the explanation for this, Merumaz Bichubas Meishar is hinted at in what Meishar replied to Kairach. And what did he say? Boiker v'yeda Hashem. In the morning, Hashem will let us know. And like the Medrash explains, and Rashi brings this, Amar lahem, Moshe. Moshe said to them, Moshe explained to them, Hashem created this world with parameters, with borders, with delineation. 
Do you think you can mix, you can commingle day and night? This is what the Torah tells us. The Torah tells us that God divided day and night. And like fashion, Hashem separated the Jews from the other nations. And in like fashion, Hashem separated Aharain, separate from all others of B'nai Yisrael, to be the Kayan Godel and to be able to go into the Kayyashim. If you will be able to eradicate the distinction that Hashem made between day and night, then you'll be able to eradicate the distinction of Aaron above everybody else. Basically, it's not possible. That's what Maisha explained. Hasbara Bazet, what's the explanation? So famously, the Mishnah tells us that Hashem created the world through the agency of 10 ma'amaris, 10 utterances, 10 fiats. So because the Abishta created the world, not with one maimar, not in one fell swoop, not through one unilateral action, but rather through 10. So built into the world is his chalkus, is multifariousness is distinction, is separation, is plurality. And therefore, the Ebesha created gvulois, Hashem created uh, borders, parameters uh, between the different aspects. And everything that was created has its own borders, it has its own limitations, it has its own definition. Which differentiates it and separates it from something else. And just like Hashem created distinctions and borders and parameters in time, there is night. There is day, and each one of these times has its own tafkid. It has its own purpose. And when each fulfills its tafkid in conformity with its particular um, definition and delineation, then together they create yoyim echad, one day. And kain hu gam nivra. And the same is true for every single aspect of creation. Tachlis ushlemus habria hikasher kol nivra memale es hatafket shilema'anoi hu nivra v'hagdarasai the world can come to fruition, come to its fullness. It can crescendo only when every aspect of creation fulfilled 
its tafkid, its purpose, for which it was created with specific categorization and specific delineation. And when an aspect of creation does not fulfill its stated mandate in conformity with its particular specifications, but instead engages in Aveda that belongs to a different aspect of creation, this creates um, a, a, a confusion and it creates a disorder and a confusion in, in the very way in which this world was created and is meant to function. Vav. Just as there are borders and distinctions between the aspects of various aspects of creation, so too are there distinctions and borders and delineation in the holy light, in the sacred light that is the, gener- the generator above, it's the locus above that is found in creation. In this light are found distinctions in the levels of holiness. And they're also found in each one of the three aspects of creation that form the acrostic ashan, oilam, shana, nefesh. So oilam refers to space, shana refers to time, and nefesh refers to personhood. Yeshna his chalkos ba'ilam, b'makoim. The Rebbe says there is distinction, there is differentiation in space. Uledugma, for example, eser hakdushes be'eretz Yisrael shenimna b'mishna, that there are 10 different levels of holiness in Eretz Yisrael itself that are enumerated in the Mishnah. Zu l'mayla zu, and one is higher than the next. And in like fashion, the same thing is true of time. There's Yemay Sachol, there's the, the, the weekday, Yom Tov, holiday, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos Shabbosan, Yom Kippurim. There are various levels, there's various strata. The Chenu Gam and it's also true in personhood. In the souls of the Jews, for example, first, of course, we have the most general differentiation that we are a nation of three facets. And within the Kayanim themselves, you have the regular Kayan, and until you come to the highest level, which is Kayan Gadol. And then you also have the, from the Torah, the 10 different, 
types within B'nai Yisrael, from the heads of your tribes, until the woodchoppers and the water carriers. And then there is even a further distinction. We have this notion that all of our souls are rooted in 600,000 root souls, mama souls, papa souls, however you want to call them. And then from these germinate, can germinate up to 600,000 souls from each one of these um, root souls. So the Rebbe says, we see that in each of these areas, in Oilam, Shana, and Nefesh, there's variation, there's gradation, there's multifariousness. And Kairach wanted to do away with this whole notion. And just like in creation, what the Abishar wants, what the Abishar desires is that no aspect of creation should change its mandate, should veer from its mandate. That every creation shall fulfill its mandate and its job that was designated for it and not someone else's or something else's. And that is how we acquire peace in creation. And this is how society operates. You can only have peace and unity. Those can only reside when one doesn't seek to be masigvul, to, um, to encroach on the other. And when one doesn't do uh, war with the other to take something that belongs to somebody else. It is exactly the same thing with the levels of holiness. There can only be shalom that can only exist when there is no encroachment and there is no opposition of one level of holiness to the other, whether it be in time, in, in space, in time, or in personhood. But each one stays within its own parameters and its own tafkid. I think in, uh, in our contemporary vernacular, we would say everybody stays in their own lane. Zion. Ulam, however. But the Rebbe says, but when everybody stays in their own lane, that's still not true peace. Shekane. Because when everyone stays in its world, in its lane, then you don't have true peace because everybody is in their own place and they have no connection to the other. So you can't call that peace. You could use the word peace in some euphemistic way. Because they're not doing battle with each other. 
Ach ein zel shalom gamiloshen hashlama va'achdos. But this is not peace. And the Rebbe points out that hashlama means when one makes the other more complete. And because there's no cross-pollination, because there is no intersection, because everybody is so careful to stay in their own lane, so yes, you have a state of non-war, but you don't have a cohesiveness and a unity and a complementing, which is what you would really uh, want in order to call it shalom. Amitas inin hashalom. Rebbe says the true peace is, can only be found in a situation where each category and each level influences and complements the other. Because in addition to the fact that each category or each level has its own mandate. Yeshna hashpa mizulazu. But ideally, each one should be intersecting with and influencing the other. Al just as we read about the malachim, the kara ze elze. They call one to the other. What does this mean? Umikablan deiminden. And they receive one from the other. Or the flow from a higher level to a lower level. Either way is fine because they're influencing each other. They're, they're um, working with each other. They're complementing each other. And like Chazal taught us about the Beis Mikdash, that Misham Oira Yitzes Lechala Alam Right? We learned that the windows were built in such a way that from the Beis Mikdash the light radiated to the whole world. We have the same thing with Shabbos that its holiness radiates and vivifies the six days of the week. And then we have the same thing with, with the bracha that flows from the Kayan Gadol and from the other Kayanim to all of B'nai Yisrael. And we have the same idea in the, in the other way. If you look at how the Mishkan and the Beis Midrash were built, they were built to begin with from materials that were donated by the Jews, meaning like the Abishra could have made all of the material, the necessary materials appear miraculously. Actually, the Abishra could have just lowered the entire structure from heaven. But no, the Abishra wanted that we should have a part in it. So it's not just that the cross-pollination or the intersection uh, occurs from top and, 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 and trickles down to lower places, but the Rebbe is saying, but the same thing is true in the opposite, right? That the Beis Hamidosh and, and the Mishkan were fed, as it were, through the Nidavais from each one of Bnei Yisrael. And the resting of Hashem's Shechina is connected to the Karbanais. She Yisrael makdishim Mishkan Bnei Yisrael 
sanctify these kabbanas and they bring them to the Mishkan or the Mikdash. So I was saying there's a reciprocity about this. And that is Shalom. We have the same thing in terms of time. Not only famously do we know that the Yamta, the Kedusha of the Yamta, is dependent upon Bnei Yisrael, right? Because in the years when they used to be Makadish Levana al so it was all about the human overture. And even if a mistake was made, you know, that would still determine when Yom Tov uh, fell out. Right? It's your because you're the ones that determined when it will be held. Because they sanctify my time, as it were, the Abisha says. But it's not only regarding Yom says even regarding Shabbos, we find the corollary that the one who prepares before Shabbos will eat on Shabbos. And the innermost explanation is not just that if you make a chol before, you'll be able to enjoy it on Shabbos, but really, Hasidus teaches, that the Kedusha of Shabbos is found in greater measure and greater strength if the Jew works spiritually during the sixth day to effectuate a higher level of holiness during Shabbos. So our overtures can actually feed the Kedusha of Shabbos. Uben nefesh, and in personhood, how is, how is this the case? Isa the Gemara, the Gemara teaches, so we're taught that you're supposed to separate uh, the koyhein and, and make him holy through giving him um, the, the honor of doing everything first and giving him the best portion and the first portion, etc. And we might say, in accordance with the, even the simple understanding of Vikidashtra, you should make him holy, you should sanctify him. That not only is this a form of according honor to the Kahim, but that B'nai Yisrael actually, through these overtures, add in the sanctity of the Kahim. It's not just about according honor and not just about keeping the peace. But it actually adds in the Kayin sanctity, as it says, you will sanctify him. But this is all only possible when and because there are distinctions and parameters between the different demographics and the different levels. Not sure how to pronounce this. And through these distinctions, each one is able to impact and influence the other. So, you know, what they say that without borders, there are no countries. You know, it, it, it's really nice in some, 
unrealistic way to say, oh, we'll all just be citizens of the world and we'll all just live together. But uh, we know that, that that doesn't work. That can't work. Ches. Derech zu so the intersection and the cross-pollination and the ways in which these different distinctive entities interact with each other, only this can bring to the highest level of shalom. To the um, most ideal complementing and fullness of each of them separately. And like the Al-Tahab explains, in relation to the nation Israel, each one needs the other. And we are all literally one body. Just like, for instance, every limb of the body has its own um, attributes, it has its own distinctive um, strengths and, and what it brings to the table, as it were, and how it helps the rest of the limbs. The same is true in the analog. In the, in the Alte Rebbe's very words, Take a person, He's upright, he has a head, he has feet. So although the feet are at the very bottom of this um, body, of this structure, let's say, and of course it's much lower, and the head is much higher and elevated above, but in one respect, there is something that is um, that that that, uh, that is superior about the feet. The, the feet are necessary for locomotion. You know, for for you can't be ambulatory without feet. And the feet are also the basis for the entire body, inclusive of the head. And also the Rabbi adds, when there is a pain in the head, uh, so for many, many, many generations, uh, cutting edge medicine was bloodletting, sometimes referred to as phlebotomy, bankis um, in Yiddish. And uh, so you, you, you t- in order to, to address the pain in the head, you would let blood from the feet, and the person would be healed, and he would gain back his strength from this. So we find, So the head can never be complete without the feet. And in a like fashion, this is true for us as a people. And the same is true in terms of space. The tenth is only the apex of holiness because its holiness is fed 
from and rests upon the holiness of the nine lower areas. And the same is true in time. The completion of the year, it's only when it includes all the days, inclusive of the the pedestrian days, the regular days, together with the Shabbos and the holidays, just like, simply speaking, topically, the word Shana is etymologically rooted in Shinui, change, and Shani, second, like a Mishnah, to repeat, a year is comprised of bringing together all four seasons with all of the distinctions and all of the differentiation. And so through all of this, we understand that when you talk about peace and unity, we understand that in order to have one complete entity, you have to have all of the details. You have to have all the differentiation. And the parameters and the borders and the distinctions and the delineations and the differentiation are absolutely integral. Because the unity, the way in which they are comprised of one, depends whether you're talking about space or time or in personhood. The unity is created specifically through the distinctions. It is not created through the similarity that can be found, but rather through the distinctions. And we see this in the body of a person. When can you say that a person has a complete body, a healthy body? You can only say that a person has a complete and holy corpus when he has all of the different limbs. So if a person has seven sets of lungs, that's not efficacious. So now the Rebbe teaches something so important that Hasidus goes back to always reminding us that this idea of how Shalom and unity are achieved in the three distinctive areas that we spoke of only relates to creation. And creation includes the higher worlds as well. 
because creation was through the agency of 10 utterances. And therefore, the entirety of creation is an entity that is comprised of many distinctive aspects. So that means that even the celestial light, the holy light, is also divided to 10 kedushas that we usually refer to as the 10 spheres. Esem madregas, 10 categories or levels. And together they create one wholeness, um, which is the, the Hashem residing and resting in the world. But in the holy light, but in the holy light as it is in its source, higher and higher until the essence of Hashem, there the light is on that level, the light is disassociated from any categorization and any description whatsoever. There can't even be a discussion about actus there, because on that level, there is only one thing, and that is the Ebeshtah. And this higher level of there being only one light before distinction, before delineation, before multiplicity and plurality, this too is expressed even in this world in Olam Shana Nefesh. How do we see this? Famously, we had in the Kodesh HaKadoshim that the Arun, while we have exactly the measurements of the Arun and the Torah, at the same time, when you add up the equation of how much space the Torah says there has to be on each side, on either side of the Arun, and how large the Kodesh HaKadoshim was, and how large the Arun itself was, you see that the Aaron did not take up any space. So it had very specific measurements, and at the same time, meaning, that we're talking about space that is higher than space. And this is only possible because, uh, on the level of the Atmos of the Abishar. And Bishana, we have the same idea. Yom Kippur also has this otherworldly quality about it. It's only one time in the year where the essence of the day gives kapara. And the same thing is personified in the Kayin Gadol. And the Kayin Gadol, when he goes in on Yom Kippur to the Kaddish HaKadoshim, so you have 
the highest person who, who, who carries with him, personifies Atmos, on the day that transcends all days. In the space that transcends space, he brings down this truest type of peace and completion, which is higher than this world and higher than anything, and is a place where there's there's simply only one thing, which is Abishar, and he brings it down to our Madriga. Brings it down to our just as we are, into our individualized kedusha. And now the Rebbe says, and see if you'd al pizeh yuvonu dibre chazal kairach shepikeach hayamaraya mara l'shtuzeh. Now we can understand what Chazal say and Rashi cites that kairach was. So smart. What did he see to engage in this shtus, in this folly? So the Rebbe says, So from the very terminology that Kairach was very smart, very evolved, very astute, and we actually never heard him described like this until this incident, Move on. The Rebbe says understood. That it's from this incident itself that we learn just how smart and evolved and astute he was. And still, alone we say, how did it come to him to get involved in, in such idiocy? In his very uh, intelligence is is there's an amalgam is, is mixed in the folly the shtos and here the Rebbe is going to explain what was really going on. Right, we learn that who is considered a smart person the one who can see what will be born. And the Rebbe underscores in a different sicha that you can see what will be born of what you're doing now. You'll see what the, what the result is. The Chacham sees not only that which is already manifest, but sees that which is still obscured, that will only be revealed after some time. Kulaymar, that is to say, Tainus Kaira, She'ein Lis Chalkos be Israel, Kikol Ha'eda, Kulam Kedoshim, Abetechem Hashem, Omaduat Nasul Kahal Hashem, Ba Mitzat Chachmasai Pikhosai. His complaint, Kaira's complaint, about the differentiation in levels amongst B'nai Yisrael and how wrong that is, because essentially all of B'nai Yisrael are holy and Hashem resides among them. So why should one element or why should one person or why should one demographic be elevated above the others? 
he came from his intelligence. Why? Because Kairach was fixated on this highest level of Sholem and Achdos as they are in their celestial source. And in that place, there is only simple Achdos. There is no differentiation. There's no multifariousness. And that will only be revealed in the time to come. Mashiach comes. And it will manifest also in a completely different level of peace and unity in the world. Like it says about that time to come, Yermio says, one will not teach the other because all will know me. Meaning, there won't be that mashpia mekabel. There won't be the teacher student. There won't be the the, the delineation and and the different levels. But within this very pikhos, within this very, um, let's say, in in his very enlightenment and in his very precociousness, that he was able to see something so profound lie his folly, the shtos. Because that particular type of achdos and shalom is only possible in the source or when Mashiach comes. But in this world, in this time, this kind of behavior not only can this not lead to unity and peace, but on the contrary, it brings to machlekes. Yud Aleph, Habir to further amplify. So when somebody comes with a complaint that all of B'nai Yisrael are holy, they're all equally holy, and therefore your pedestrian Israelite, the Yisrael, should be able to stride into the base HaMikdash and bring a carbon and bring Ketairas, etc. So if this were to happen, where you blur distinctions, as a result, because that is not really the essence, the essential level and place of the Yisrael, and it's not his avoda, so the only thing that will come out of this is rift, is division, is separation. And now the have explains it in spiritual terms. Hanitzos. The godly spark that vivifies and exists within each one of Yisrael. Listen to this. Rebbe says it is through the agency of this spark that the Jew is able to get the holy effluence from the Kayin Gadol through the work that he does. But when the person who's not a kohen, 
ventures into terrain where he or she does not belong. Then this Nitas Eloki takes leave and it goes above. Because you foisted a foreign level of Kedusha on the spark, and it's not possible for this spark to deal with that level of Kedusha. And then the lower aspect of the spark is swallowed up below. It, this is this is this is really something. Rifki, yeah. It, it, wow, I, I can't help but think about um, the role of women. Wait, the rabbi's getting oh. there. Oh, okay. Well, Yeah, I'll repeat the point again. Let's look at let's look in the in the sicha. Let's start from, let's start from the beginning. Kasha oila taina. We're starting from the beginning of Yud Aleph again. When a person comes with a complaint, or when a complaint arises, kikala eda kulam kedoshim. Everybody's holy. So who are you to make distinctions and parameters and tell people they can go till here but not till there? Everybody's b'mida shava. We're going to make this a true democracy. Everybody's equal. And so therefore, any pedestrian Israelite should be able to go into the base of Mikdash, bring carbonis, bring the katayas. But the Rebbe says, But because this is not truly his level, and it's not his avoida, nigram what is going to occur as a result of this is division, is rift, is separation, is machlekes. And now the Rebbe puts it in spiritual terms. And the Rebbe says, Hanitzot, the boire ha'eliki, ha'kayim b'chol adam, the godly spark, the spark that creates and vivifies and exists in every person, every Jew, through the agency of this spark, it is through the agency of the spark that he receives the Kedusha from the Kayin Gadol that is brought down through the Avoid of the Kayin Gadol. But when we encroach on areas where we don't belong, this aspect of the spark goes upwards. It's nostalgic. It goes upward. You know what, Sipa? Thank you so much for making me repeat this because I, I made a mistake before. I said that the higher part of the person's spark is nostalgic. No, the spark of the Kohingado moves upward, leave, takes leave of the person. Why? Because the person is not presenting the proper place where the, where the hashpa of the Kohen Gadol can rest. 
because the individuated spark of the Jew is not misugelis, let's say, is dark and knowledge, they're, they're not misugel, it's not possible for them to accept this high level of Kedusha from the Kayin Gadol because they have meandered into a space they don't belong. And the personal spark of the Jew, Yairid Venivla Lamata, descends and is swallowed below. So basically, you mess up the alignment. You mess up the chain of, of um, re- reception. And the same is true generally. When there is missing this aspect of the leadership being elevated over the 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 kahal Hashem, the community of Hashem, the noifleis hamachitzes hamavdiles bin kahanim levim v'yisraelim, and the distinctions that are supposed to exist between Kahanim and Levim Yisraelim fall, between the Kayin Gadol and the rest of the nation, which the relationship with the, between the Kayin Gadol and the Am depends on the on the separation, on the delineation that exists. And in that way, one madrega can impact the other. And when there are these very distinct parameters, then each one can affect the other, each one can complement the other, and together they affect the fullness of the kaima achas, the one body. But when you take them away, this causes a chaotic rupture and rift and divisions in B'nai Yisrael. Why? Because there's alias v'stalkos al-yoyinim shaba'am. Because the higher aspects of the nation take leave. They move upward. And the lower aspects of the nation go lower and lower. Now look at footnote 75. Rebbe says, And this is like what we learn about the rupture of the vessels in the world of Tayyip. Because there was a propensity of light and a paucity, there wasn't enough Kalim vessels, Nistal Kua So the light went higher up, and the vessels imploded, they broke, and they and 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 the shards of the vessels went went downwards. Now let's look at footnote 76. Alpiha now, based on the above. Move on, Mamar Hamishna Avois, Perakei, Mishna Yudzayin. We could understand a deeper understanding of the Mishnah that says, that a Machlekes, that is for the purpose of, of Hashem, will endure. 
And then it references like Machlekes Kayach Becholadasi. And the Rebbe says, when you read this Mishnah, to me, Pashtus Haloshan, from the simple terminology of the Mishnah, Mashmat's understood, that Machlekes Gufa Seifelis Kayim, that the actual Machlekes, the actual argument will endure. So what's, what's the, what's the Maila about an uh, argument that endures? Why? Because when a machlekes is truly fueled for the sake of Hashem, then both sides of the argument will endure. Why? Because in that case, both the binary has to exist. Both things are true. Both days are true. Like we know famously, the Rebbe taught us that Hillel and Shammai, it's both true. One is for now and one is for a philosopher. But a contradistinction when it's not then it leads to a rift, it leads to dissension, and ultimately it leads to oblivion for both sides of the argument. Yud base. And now we can understand. Now we can understand, we go back, we circle back to the original question that the Rebbe asked, and if Aleph, how is this Mida Kenegamida? Keneged Cheta Machlekes. Shekein Shnei Einshem Elu Ka'achad Mivatim Esapiluk Bahapirud Histalkos Biyarita. Because now that we understand what the Rebbe explained to us, we can see how in these punishments are expressed both aspects, the histalpus and the yurida, the way in which the higher level rises upward and the lower level descends. says, how does fire work? When you put something in a crucible, it causes an, obliterate, an obliteration and a leaf taking, as it were, of the higher elements, the halokim hanalim bahazachim, the refined and the higher things. That nisraf, that gets burnt. Vilu Sorry, you know what? No, I don't think the crucible is a good example. Um, Rebbe does use the term zachim, the refined aspects go upward. So um, we're just going to stick with um, the idea that the Rebbe mentions elsewhere that like from a korban, all the higher aspects go up and what's left is the ashes. So that's when it comes to fire. The higher aspects go up. And when it comes to being swallowed up, but something being swallowed up is more in line with or akin with 
the lower elements, lower strata of society, like the Rebbe referenced before. They cannot be elevated. They cannot be included in what goes upward in the fire. And the Rebbe says, and these things are, are part of one wholeness, the pastors. Whether you're talking about the difference in the, in the punishment or those who were punished, simply speaking. In the fire were burned 250 people who brought the katayas. And who were they? They are described in the Torah as exalted people. However, the, the swallowing up, which demographic was this? This was a much lower type of person, Dasan and Aviram. We know already their history. And the other people, the riffraff that, that, they, that they collected. Even before this incident, they were already of lower stature. As is spoken of in, in previous Psukim, and still they're, they're actually called Rishayim. So we see how the, the more evolved, exalted people were punished through Aish this idea of estalkos and the lower strata, they were punished through blia. They were swallowed. And now we see the midak negamida. And it's for this reason that they were swallowed, that they were punished through being swallowed up. They went down to their graves alive. This underscores the idea of being swallowed up. Because this reflects this idea that the Rebbe taught us earlier about the Nitzas HaKadusha that is found in the lower levels. This holy spark that is found in the lower aspect, if you get rid of the Mechitzites, if you get rid of the delineations, if you get rid of the parameters, and this holy spark will be swallowed up and go down into the abyss. The gimel klipas hatmeis. It'll go all the way down. And as is known regarding holy sparks that are found in klipas, we know that the holy sparks from which the klipas are, are vivified and get their highest, they are swallowed into the klipas. They are mired in the klipa. They are incarcerated within the klipa. Yud Gimel. And now the Rebbe circles back to the second question he asked about that medrash. How could they say that he was nitzel, that he was saved? He would have been... He would have died either way. Because because Kairach was the source and the root of this Machlaikas, Sherehu Pita as Kulam, he's the one that convinced all the others. Al Kain, Kalal Av Ainshay Ba'ifin Golui Eshne Hachalakim Bakzavis Shalapirud Vapiluk. 
Therefore, his punishment had to be comprised in a manifest way of both extremes that occur, the fallout of what happens when you try to dismantle the mechitzas that belong. Both the fact that there's sreifa, that there's histalkos of the higher aspects that would have otherwise rested on the lower nitzas and would have infused it with greater kedusha. And then there's the blia. There's the way in which the lower nitzas gets swallowed into klippas instead of rising higher. Mm-hmm. If he would have been punished only with one of the two punishments, either with being burnt or with being swallowed up, there would have been asked of him that would have been, as it were, saved. Now that we understand the deeper understanding of the punishments, we understand the, the deeper taina. The deeper taina is, how could he get off scot-free and not be punished with both impacts, as it were? With, with the fullness of the fallout of his terrible rebellion. It's not fear. It's, it's not symmetrical. It's not yesha. And therefore, Kairach was punished with both punishment. His soul was burnt, as it were, the higher aspects. The guf kayim. And, and, his, and, his, and his, his body was left untouched. And then his body rolled to where the earth had opened up and he was swallowed. And Nikola Amor, and now, Sarah, we get to, to what you referenced before from everything that we said. There is a very important lesson for all times. And specifically for our time. There are those who say, for peace and just to bring people closer. We should um, be mevater. We, we should give in on the distinctions, the delineations, the separations that Hashem instituted in his world. Starting with taking away the mechitza between men and women, and having women serve as um, witnesses for divorce or marriage, or women to minion, or uh, counting women in a minion. Nisayan litzor irvuvya in other areas to create an amalgam. The um, is talking about interfaith overtures uh, between Jews and Lahafil Amim, and this would create um, an opening, a, a a terrible opening in the mechitza that separates it between Jews and the other nations, Hayalaisia, God forbid. And then Al Gir Kavyochal I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wrong. 
the Rebbe says three things. One is about um, creating, taking away the distinctions between men and women. Then he talks about taking away the distinctions between the Jews and the non-Jews by engaging in interfaith overtures. And then Yetzirah's Pirza, creating a terrible breach in the, in, the, in the separation between Jews and the other nations, God forbid, through an alleged conversion, which of course is not a conversion, because it would not be Alpi Halacha. And the Rebbe says, and, 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 and there are so many other iterations of the same idea. So here we see the Hayra from what happened with Kairach. When it comes to obviating the borders and parameters that the Abishra put into his world, the way he divided his world, in addition to the fact that they weren't really rebelling against Moshe, they were rebelling against God because this is against Moshe and it's against Hashem. But you don't get to peace through this road. Rather the opposite. It just brings to friction and fracturing. When you have things that are at their very core different and even diametrically opposed to each other, it is only possible to create an alliance between these things when you have something that separates between them. The Rebbe says, for example, a, a connection between water and fire is possible. It's only possible when there is something that, that separates them. Through the pot, through the agency of the pot in which the water is found, only then, yes, will the water boil. And without the pot, nothing efficacious will occur. But each one will obviate the other. The water will put out the fire or the fire will evaporate the water. You're not going to get boiled water. Only through watching over and strengthening the mechitzas and the gvulois, the parameters and the borders. Who put these borders into place? The Abish put them into place. When each aspect of creation fulfills its mandate, for which reason it was created by God, Nifal Hashalom. Because then it will be peace that is based on the Torah. All the paths of Torah are peaceful. And through this, we will be to reach the time. 
The Rambam says that at that time, there will be no war, there'll be no um, kina, there'll be no jealousy, there'll be no competition. The Yavai Mashiach, Shehumizera David Yishloima, Mashiach will come, and he is from the seed of David and Shloima. Ve'al Shloima Nemar Hu Yeh Ish Menucha V'Shalom V'Sheket Etin Al Yisrael B'Yamav. So Shloima Hamelach is correlated with um, with with uh, rest, with peace, with quiet. Afshagam Az Yir Yisrael Mubdalim Me'Umas Ha'Elam. Even then, we will still be separated from all the rest of the nations. Like Yeshayahu told us, strangers, other nations will stand and take care of all the work. They will pasture your animals, etc. And the, the whole world will be fixed, um, will be perfected to serve Hashem together, Shenemar, as it says in Sefania, Ki az el amim safa brura, I will then turn to all the nations a clear language, likrei kulan b'shem Hashem, for all of them to call in the name of Hashem, la'avdei shechem echad, and to serve Hashem with one shoulder, meaning all, you know, all together in unison. Yeah. This is really something, and it could never, ever, ever be more timely than it is today. Um, and I know that we have one minute to 11.30, we usually end then, but anybody has to go, go. But I'll just uh, share something um, that happened to me. I was on a flight uh, a few days ago, and um, I was standing in the aisle when we landed, and I overheard like a fly on the wall, a conversation between two people. One was an elderly gentleman that was actually sitting next to me the whole flight. And I was saying chitas and tehillim and preparing for classes. And um, I think he probably got it that I was Jewish, um, but he didn't tag me for who I am, as you'll soon see. Um, and, but in front of him was a family, a young man who was wearing a yarmulke. His wife was wearing a tichel and three children wearing yarmulkes and tzitzis. And this guy, uh, out of nowhere, starts this conversation. And he says, uh, you know, my grandfather was observant, but my father was non-observant. I'm conservative, but um, I go to the Chabad in my area. And he goes on and on to talk about how nice the rabbi is and how he gives him an aliyah and who is he to get an aliyah. So the other guy turns around and he says to him, um, so it's interesting, our family's going the opposite direction. Our family has been non-observant for generations and generations, but we've become more observant than my parents. My father also belongs to a conservative temple, but it's kind of dying. And they're saying that it's going to become a Chabad uh, probably within a few months. And I'm like standing there listening to this, like I'm like in some alternate universe. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have read um, a very recent article that kind of documented this, um, you know, this pattern. But just like stand on a plane and hear these two people talking. And, and I think that as um, the Rebbe is Kayach, the Rebbe is Payal Yeshua's Bekerva Aretz and etc. It behooves us to remember what the Rebbe is teaching us in the Sicha, that now more than ever, we have to remember who we are and not be mivater on our principles and on the distinctions 
um, that, 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 that halacha puts into place and that the Rebbe, of course, you know, my, my father always says that, you know, the bracha that we give to a, a little boy, that he should be a chayel, he should be a chassid, or shemayim and a lamdan, he always tells us that it's not three different brachas. The bracha is he should be a chassid. And what's the definition of a chassid? A yari shemayim and a lamdan. But it can't be Hasidish guide without your Shemayim. And, um, and, and, and we didn't get here because we bent and, and because we blurred the distinctions between us and everyone else. And at this crucial moment, it, we, we really have to stand even more strongly, um, you know, with the Go'en Yaakov, with pride in, in who we are. Um, yeah, anyway, just wanted to share that because it was just... It was just something, and I, and I didn't want to spoil the moment by uh, saying anything about myself. So I just stood there and basked um, in the in in the beauty and the nachas of of the moment. Um, so wishing everyone a wonderful day and a wonderful week as we approach the Yayim Hagadol Bahanaira. Also, a, a, a day of binary, you know, because on the one hand. Gimel Tammuz must evoke in us a sense of gaguim, of, of pain and yearning for what we don't have. And at the same time, a strengthening in, in our, in, in the Atzmistike connection that we have with the Rebbe now and the way in which the Rebbe is constantly poking us and talking to us and lifting us up and, and et cetera, et cetera. So we should we should have the strength to and uh, to approach the day properly and and to use out the day properly and 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 all the brachas and amshachas that come to us. Kol tov, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.